In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. Often there are little clues, little hidden gems in the Gospels that are easy to miss if you don't know they're there and if you don't go sort of digging for them. And today is one of those days. And it starts right at the very beginning of the passage with where Jesus is. I think sometimes we hear Luke and the other evangelists talk about You know, Jesus was here and there, and he was going these places, and it sort of sounds like they're giving us a little bit of a walking tour, right? Like if we wanted to follow Jesus around, we could. But I think often there's also some real meaning to where he is and what he's doing in those spaces. And so today I think it matters that this story takes place sort of in an in-between place. He's going through the region between Samaria and Galilee, And to understand that, we have to do just a little bit of a history and a little bit of a geography lesson and just remind ourselves that the Jews and the Sumerians were sworn enemies by this point. They had once been part of the same people, and there's a long, long story about why they're now two different peoples. And at some point in history, not that far away from this moment, Israel had been carried off into exile, and then they've come back again. And so these two peoples that really, really dislike each other, I hesitate to say hate, but that's probably accurate, are suddenly forced again to share this land. And in between, because they really don't like each other, there's this region that sort of is like a no man's land. There's some people out there for sure, but it's probably a region where life is different, where some of the rules of civility and society aren't followed where some of the people who don't belong in either place end up. It's kind of actually not unlike some regions in the Holy Land now. Everyone would lay claim to this land, and yet no one properly owned it. And so it was tricky, and maybe a little dangerous in the middle. And that is where we find Jesus this morning, in this sort of scary, in-the-middle kind of place. And it says he's on his way to Jerusalem, so he's headed somewhere. But he's choosing to go through this region, and this story happens there, and I think that matters. It's not a surprise that before he gets to the village, while he's still out in this no-man's land, that the lepers appear, ten of them. Because, of course, the lepers would not have been welcome in any city or any village. They would have been cast out. Now, we know now that even though there are still people in the world who suffer with leprosy, we know that it's not super contagious. It's a progressive, debilitating skin disease. But at the time, they thought it was very, very contagious. So if you had leprosy, you lived in basically a colony. And if you ever watched any of the old Bible movies, and I'm looking at Pam because she loves Ben-Hur, If you ever watched any of those old movies, those colonies that you see are fairly accurate. They're they're tragic, they're isolated. These people would have lived out of sort of life itself, separated, aside. And there were some of them who were sick who lived together, and so of course there was some kind of community, but an individual who ended up with leprosy would have not been able to go to temple, not been able to worship, 
not been able to visit their family or celebrate the holidays or do any of the things that you would normally think someone could do. So it makes sense that these sort of ostracized people would be in this no-man's-land kind of place. And they approach Jesus, and they ask him to heal them. And of course, physically is what we're talking about in this story. And I think Jesus' response is really important. He asks them to do something. And to be fair, what he asks them to do is not easy, right? Because I've just explained, they're not welcome in the temple. They're not welcome in civil society. And what he's asking them to do is go and present themselves to the priests. And I did a decent amount of digging on that specific point this week. And the only thing I can think of is that he's asking them to do this because it is hard. They don't know they're going to be healed on the way, right? So they're taking a risk. Chances are, if they weren't healed on the way and they presented themselves at the temple, people would have thrown rocks at them or sent the soldiers after them to chase them back out of town. That's how much of a pariah these people were. They were not welcome. And so what Jesus asks of them is hard. It's a leap of faith. He asks them to go and do this hard thing. And on the way, they find that they're healed. He asks them to participate in their own healing, in their own salvation. And it's not an easy ask. He doesn't just say, you know, there's other stories where he tells someone to go sort of dip in the river kind of thing, and that's not what this is. For them, this would have felt like them risking what little bit of life they had left. And so it's amazing to me that they all go. All ten of them start to go, according to the text. Which is kind of amazing. It reminds me a little bit of that story that probably a lot of you know, um, <laughs> of the religious man who finds himself caught in a flood, and he climbs up to the roof of his house. Right? A couple of you know this, okay? So, climbs up to the roof of his house and he prays to God, save me, rescue me, because the waters are rising up. And the first thing that happens is his neighbor comes by in a canoe. And he says, no thank you, God will save me. I'm good. So his neighbor goes. And then the police come by in a boat. And they say, come on, the waters are coming up, come on, come with, come with us. And he says, no, thank you. God will save me. And so a third time, the police come by in a helicopter. And now the waters are all the way up to the top of the roof. And they offer to lower a ladder down and fly him out. And he says, no, thank you. God will save me. So he gets to heaven. And at the gate, he says to God, I prayed and I trusted that you would save me. What happened? And God says, my child, I sent you a canoe and a boat and a helicopter and you never got in. And it's sort of a silly story on some level, but the obvious takeaway is we are meant to participate in our own healing, in our own salvation. And sometimes God, God's help comes to us in the hands and the voices and the hearts and the minds and the presence of God's other people. Sometimes help comes to us that way. And sometimes help doesn't look exactly like what we thought it would look like. I'm not sure what that guy wanted. I mean, if that was like a cloud coming down kind of moment. But obviously he was waiting for some other kind of salvation. 
And the three that were presented weren't good enough. And so the point that I'm trying to make is that we have to participate one way or another. Sometimes that's an easy ask. Sometimes in the gospel, it's, it's a hard ask. But we can't just expect that everything will happen to us. We have to choose to participate and to follow Jesus. And even then, I think it's worth noting that sometimes salvation still doesn't look like what we want. Sometimes we don't get exactly what we want. All of you probably have heard me say at this point that God is not a cosmic vending machine, right? We can't just put our quarters in and get exactly what we want out. God is too mysterious and untraceable for that. There are other promises instead. But the other piece of this gospel that I want us to look at before we finish is the one who turns back. And there's a ton of questions that we could ask about why the one and not the nine, what makes them different, and that's another sermon that I'm not going to preach today. But the one comes back, and I think his response is important. Not only does he come back to praise God and say thank you, he actually does a physical thing in the gospel that is an ancient practice called lying prostrate. And that means that he literally got down on the ground and laid down at Jesus' feet. That's how he said thank you. It's an ancient sign of worship and submission, and in this case, gratitude. And it's something that was practiced in lots of different ways, and it's something that is still practiced now, actually, in the church. In fact, our bishop-elect is going to do it on Saturday during the prayers at his consecration. Before the Holy Spirit comes to make him a bishop, he will lie prostrate at Jesus' feet. And I love that the gospel suggests that this is a response to gratitude, not because I expect you all to come down here before communion and lay down on the ground, but because it's a physical thing, it's a posture that you don't necessarily have to do with your body. You can do it with your heart. You can do it with your spirit. But it's a striking image of what it means to be grateful. Think about the last couple of times you were really grateful for something. And I mean really grateful, not just like, thank you note, grateful. But when somebody did something for you or something happened or God did something for you that really was so incredible that it welled up within you, what happens when that happens? First of all, it changes us, right? And if we're serious about it, it sort of spills out of us and then sort of changes things around us. And I think that's kind of what Luke is getting at with this one response. This guy comes back and he is so grateful that he participates in this sort of ultimate act of submission. His gratitude leads him to the giving over of his life to Jesus. That's not an easy ask either. But it is a posture and a calling that we can all see and emulate and reach for. So this morning, I'd ask you to consider a couple of things. First, the scary in-between places of your life. Maybe those are seasons that have passed. Maybe they're the seasons you're in now. Maybe it's just a certain situation or two where you feel lost in that sort of no man's land and you're trying to figure out where you are and who you are and what you need. What would you ask Jesus for? What might Jesus be asking you to do 
to participate in your own healing, in your own fulfillment, in your own living. And what then does gratitude look like? How have you showed your gratitude, not just to the people in your life, but to the one who loves you most of all? The good news this morning is that no matter where you are, no matter when it is you find yourself in that sort of scary, in the middle, in between place, that Jesus is always there. He's there ahead of you and he's waiting for you. And he has a plan. And the plan may not always look like you want it to look. It doesn't always unfold that way. Isaiah reminds us that God often would say to the people that my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Right? So the plan may not look quite like we'd like. But thanks be to God for the promise of eternal life and the promise that when we find ourselves in trouble, we are never alone. Amen.